Welcome to the Diorg Hot Seat. This is the first episode of this series, and like the name suggests, it's all about the hard questions. The Hot Seat is a virtual seat, a place within the old hands meeting of the Diorg DAO, one of the most deeply technical DAOs out there. Guests sitting in the Hot Seat are key builders in the space, and they are given 10 minutes to explain their product, highlight a feature, or showcase a piece of technology they are proud of. After that, it's our builder's time to ask questions. Can we Taoify interviews, podcasts? Can we tap into the collective intelligence of Diorg? This series is the result. We hope you like it. And if you do, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Diorg underscore tech, and we'll have another chance to bring you innovative decentralized content. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm here to talk to you about the PolyRep project. The whole goal of PolyRep is to better enable Web3 developer ecosystems. And so we'll, we'll talk a bit about how PolyRep achieves that. Uh, first off, here's our website, and then also here's a QR code for the slides. And so feel free to scan this, and you can get the slides and check this out afterwards. And some prior knowledge that's good to have, but definitely not necessary. You know, an understanding of software development in general, of the WebAssembly technology, and also some understanding of existing Web3 SDKs. This is all, you know, good to have. And the goals of PolyRep, rather the, the goals of this presentation is to understand what is PolyRep, envision future use cases, as well as learn how to get started today. So first off, what is PolyRep? PolyRep can be summarized as trying to build a unified execution environment for the internet that is safe, open, and user-owned. With PolyRep, you can create these endlessly extensible pieces of software that can run anywhere. But you know what actually is PolyRep? Well, in short, uh, we, we do this by creating a WebAssembly development framework that focuses on composability and also on-demand execution. And so the, the main motivation for, for doing all this uh, comes from this hypothesis that Web3 has an integration problem. Web3 needs many modules uh, in order to perform complex client-side logic. So, so this is logic that runs inside of your app. And this is different in Web3 than in Web2 because we don't have the luxury of private servers. And so when you're interacting with networks like IPFS and Ethereum or um, using protocols on top of them, like let's say uh, Uniswap, there's logic that has to be happening inside of your application before you actually issue that request to the Ethereum node or that request to the IPFS node. So all that logic typically is bundled into these SDKs, primarily in JavaScript. And so our you know, thesis here is that these traditional modules, these JavaScript modules are really holding software back. And this is because we've identified these five core problems. These SDKs are language specific, so you can only use it in JavaScript. You can't use it in another language like Go, let's say. They're also insecure by default, so they get added to your application directly. And so they can do whatever your application can do, which is not a good thing when you're including foreign code. These SDKs are not standardized, so composing them together is you know, rather hard. They're also not upgradable because they get um, statically bundled into your app and, and they can't be upgraded. And then lastly, they bloat your application because they, they all get bundled into the same app. So you have a, a ceiling on how many integrations you can add to your, to your Web3 application. And so PolyRep modules aim to solve all these. Um, and, and I'll talk in, in more detail of how this actually works. But um, in, in summary, you know, wrappers, these are the PolyRep modules that we call wrappers, are multi-language. They are secure by default, composable, upgradable, and allows you to create scalable applications. 
So uh, WebAssembly is, is a very compact bytecode standard that is very easy to run your Go application and your Rust and your Python and your JavaScript. So, so any type of language or platform you're running on, WebAssembly can run there. Also, WebAssembly is secure by default. So these little WebAssembly modules are actually sandboxed. So they cannot do everything that your application can do. So if your application has access to your private keys or to your file system, these WebAssembly modules cannot unless you give them access to explicitly inside of your app. Also, another note on security is that this is a great platform for building capability-based security. And so this is kind of the North Star for the whole uh, WebAssembly ecosystem is to implement um, capability-based security, which if you're familiar with is, is pretty cool, but I won't get into it. Also, wrappers are composable. So we build them with uh, standard interfaces. Uh, these interfaces can be combined and composed and very, very easily, uh, similar to you know, combining and composing, let's say, um, Docker containers. Um, they're upgradable. So these applications can pull down these wrappers at runtime. And so if there is a new version that gets published, uh, your app can simply just go out and fetch it. And then now it has new code running inside of it. And, and this is actually pretty novel for applications. And they're actually scalable. So if your application has a upper threshold on memory usage, like let's say you can only use 200 megabytes of memory, you can garbage collect and, and basically remove the wrappers that aren't used anymore. So it, it only pulls down what's needed when it's needed, allowing your apps to, to stay lightweight. And so this actually allows you to create, you know, theoretically like an, an infinitely scalable application with however many integrations you may need. But obviously in, in practical terms, that's, that's not 100%. Practical. The developer experience is super simple. So the first step is just wrapping a protocol into a wrapper. So so building a wrapper, and we we built the Polyrep toolchain to to make this extremely simple. Uh, the next step is deploying it, and you can deploy wrappers anywhere. But in this example, we're showing IPFS because we want to be as Web three native as possible. And then lastly, you can integrate these into any application. So effectively, you know, if, if, if you're looking for a, a summary of, of what we're trying to create here, I think that this is a good one. This is one that I personally like. We're building kind of like an internet operating system for in-application modules. And so if you're, if you're not familiar with the term internet operating system, it's what your browser is today. So when you, you know, visit a website, um, you know, this is an internet operating system pulling down content, showing you a website, running JavaScript inside of it. And, and Polyrep allows you to do this with modules, so, so little modules of code. And so inside your website, uh, you could have Polyrep running, and it could also be pulling down these secure modules of WebAssembly code at runtime. Kind of cool. We build in general, we, we focus on the developer experience first. Uh, we build extendable systems. So everything we build, we build it with developer extendability in mind. So we don't make assumptions about what tech you want to use. You know, you can use Polyrep with a full Web2 tech stack. You can use it with a full local only tech stack with like the file system, or you can do full Web3 uh, with IPFS and Ethereum or whatever you want. So everything is customizable. And then lastly, we standardize along with adjacent technologies. So like we're building on top of existing standards like WebAssembly, and then we create our own standards when necessary. And so one of those standards we've created is called the RAP standard. It stands for WebAssembly Random Access Protocol. The idea here is that we want to randomly be able to access WebAssembly modules. So we created a, a protocol around this. But I won't get into too much details, but the whole goal is for it to feel like magic. So PolyRap, using a PolyRap client, you can invoke or call um, any WebAssembly module. Uh, you simply provide its URI. So here we're providing an ENS 
Next domain that has a, a package at version 1.0 and inside of that wrapper there's a function called some method and we're providing these arguments and so you know by simply pasting this in, into your app you can now you know pull down this webassembly module and, and run this function so just this kind of magic on-demand execution environment. Uh, where do we fit into the broader ecosystem? If you were wondering, our standard with, with RAP lies on top of uh, like WASM and, and the component model. And we sit kind of adjacent to the, the, the WASI standard, which um, is you know, in very preliminary stages. And then as far as the runtime, the PolyRAP client has a WebAssembly VM inside of it. All right, so now the fun stuff, like what are example use cases of PolyWrap? I'm going to just kind of quickly go through these, but if any of these pique your interest, let's talk about it afterwards. Universal SDKs, so building an SDK that can run anywhere. Upgradable SDKs, so if you wanted to build, let's say, a smart contract protocol and have a SDK for it, you could you know, store that SDK on, let's say, an ENS domain. And then if your DAO votes to upgrade your smart contract protocol, in that same transaction, you can upgrade your SDK. And so this actually allows you to create uh, like on-demand upgradable SDKs that can kind of uh, speed out updates to all of their integrators so that they don't have to rebuild their apps, which is really, really useful for smart contract protocols. Uh, standard interfaces. So with wrappers, you can create standard interfaces. Um, for example, like an automated market maker or a bridge or a blockchain. And, and then based on these standard interfaces, you can create aggregators. So you can um, create aggregators. And the reason they're future-proof is because the source of the you know, aggregation can be somewhere that's external to the app. So think of your app looking to a registry chain and it can you know, pull down the latest set of implementations and it can run those as it sees. So this allows your you know, Web3 aggregation applications like your portfolio viewers or your graded on the fly on demand and be as like AWS Lambda. PolyRap makes building something like that very simple. And I'll show an example of that. Hybrid compute, being able to run things on the server and the client in a given workload. All right, and Dimmer, you know, so we've been building for around two years. Um, and releasing like our first kind of official version called Origin. And we've been kind of revving uh, versions on top of that. And we're currently sitting at 0.9, in the works, which support you can build wrappers. In, uh, an example, uh, based on the tokens in your portfolio, it pulls down different wrappers to show their balances. So this allows you to basically integrate DeFi wrapper into your app. And then you can have the same functionality as, let's say, Zurion or Zapper by just including this one wrapper and, and it'll get updated in, in, into the future. That's kind of the, the goal with it. Gelato off-chain resolvers is an example of node runtimes. So the Gelato project has a, a beta release of this out now. And these nodes, these Gelato nodes, run wrappers inside of them uh, to perform off-chain logic. And so here's an example of it, this like scheduler. And if you look down here, this off-chain resolver hash, this is actually the IPFS hash of a wrapper. And so, you know, if you look at this on wrappers.io, you, you can see what the WebAssembly looks like and see what the schema is and all that fun stuff. So, and then also uh, wrap.link. So this is a, a fun project that uh, Yuri had created, who's also a member of Dorg. And basically here with wrap.link, you can execute any wrapper. And so this is just a simple, fun example where we're executing the HTTP wrapper and we're calling the git function. And the URL we're giving it is dorg.tech. And so what we get back is an, uh, an HTTP response. And in the body, this looks like HTML because it is. And so this is the HTML of the Dorg website. And so if we search for Dorg, we'll actually see the content of the website. You know, Dorgs, Web3 Labs will bring your ideas to life. And this is all just through you know, giving this uh, serverless runtime a link to a wrapper and a function to execute. 
yeah, so you can start building today. Uh, we have docs out there. You can check out all the awesome projects in the ecosystem. Join our Discord. Ask us questions. It's a very fun project. And uh, happy hacking. Hopefully, this, this allows you to create your Web3 dream applications. Wow. You've mentioned a few times how they're future-proof and how these wrappers are, you don't need to change anything even if the upstream, whatever you're using, changes. But what happens if, let's say, IPFS does a breaking change and something changes in the way you do certain things around, around IPFS? Do you still need some sort of downstream integrator to actually wrap this new function, this new functionality, this new... Uh, or or this this breaking change that that uh, that you have created. Uh, yeah, that that's a great question. So if you have an IPFS wrapper and you want to include a breaking change in that, um, you know, how can applications that include IPFS not be broken? Is 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 that maybe the question? That's absolutely yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you know, this is where versioning comes into play. So the wrapper's URI, we are creating a, a more standardized way, but you know, currently it's, it's open to interpretation, but you can include a version there. And so similarly, how I was showing like domain.eth, you know, at version.1.0.0. If I did, you know, version at one and, and just left it as that, that's the, the major version. And so, um, you know, if this wrapper was, you know, conforming to semantic versioning standards, version one should should never be broken, right? Um, it should always just have the latest with with no breaking changes made to the interface. And so, so that is just kind of a, a summary, I guess. You know, like in the same way that when you include like an npm module or a Rust crate, you specify a version, and you can select whether you want patch upgrades, minor upgrades, or major upgrades. You can do that same thing with with wrappers. But this doesn't protect against the case where the IPFS protocol itself is introduces a completely breaking change. It's it's similar to like an Ethereum hard fork where, you know, all Ethereum RPC applications are now broken. Like that case cannot be protected against. But with these decentralized networks, that that typically doesn't happen because they implement proper versioning semantics. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for that. So who takes care of the wrappers? And how do how do I, as a user of a particular wrapper, know that this wrapper is going to be uh, updated at the same rate as the protocol that it's wrapping? Yeah, that's a great question. Typically, you would want to use something that is maintained by the protocol itself. Similarly, you know, just, just to, to kind of talk about in an analogous situation, if I were to look um, on like crates.io for a Rust crate for let's say the Ethereum network, and I found one that you know is being maintained by some random person or team that that I don't quite un, you know, know know who they are, and new versions haven't really been pushed to it in um, you know a couple months, I am not very confident about using this crate because um, it doesn't seem to be like a core priority of the Ethereum development team, let's say. So, so that, that same thing exists with wrappers. And what the PolyWrap DAO is trying to do is it's trying to build this early, robust ecosystem of wrappers that we are trying to keep maintained with the ecosystems they serve. And so an example of this is, is we are working with the uh, Gnosis Safe team to build a, a wrapper around the Gnosis Safe protocol. And they are you know, personally interested in using PolyRep. And so you know, ma maintaining this wrapper you know, should be a core priority of theirs. 
And one way to increase the trust level of that for a consumer of this wrapper is to maybe host it at a Gnosis Safe owned ENS domain. So that that way you can be sure that this safe is basically published by the organization or the, by the protocol and it's, it's being maintained by them. So levels of trust in what you integrate is, is kind of a complex thing but this exists in every package ecosystem. And we're certainly trying to build tools and partnerships to, to make sure that this is an easy thing to navigate for developers and PolyRep. Right on. Okay. Um, how many of these is the PolyRep team maintaining versus how many are maintained by the protocols? Awesome. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to read off of this awesome PolyRep list, which... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sad this isn't public right now, but it will be probably once this goes live. Currently, the, the PolyRep DAO is maintaining an Ethereum RPC wrapper, so a wrapper to be able to interact with Ethereum nodes, as well as an ENS wrapper, an IPFS wrapper, and then a few other like system level ones, like for networking and file system and, and logging. But that's pretty much it for right now. And we've, we've also built a few others that are standalone that really shouldn't change. Like, for example, um, a, 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 a good example of an unchanging protocol is Uniswap and it's V2 and V3, you know? So we've we've built those wrappers and, and they shouldn't need to, to change at all. And then we're, we're also helping sponsor the creation of the DeFi wrapper, but we're looking to other organizations to help build that as well and, and help maintain it. And then wrappers that are not maintained by us, uh, you know, the the SafeDAO has, has sponsored the creation of the Safe wrapper. The XLR bridge project has sponsored the creation of an XLR wrapper. And then also, I believe, different blockchains. Yeah, so Tezos, Near, and also Substrate, um, they've all sponsored the creation of, of wrappers. So PolyRep obviously has an interest to help maintain those, but it's not the you know primary contributor, let's say. Cool. Excellent. I have a question. Another cool. Thing. Excellent. Cool. So Jordan, you, you mentioned that eventually uh, we want to support JavaScript um, in WebAssembly, right? So I have a question. If I understand things correctly, the purpose of, of assembly script is it's to basically give you the experience of JavaScript, but being able to compile to WebAssembly. I was wondering, yeah, have you thought like how this will work? Like probably using another runtime and yeah, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start with the JavaScript question. So so how can you run JavaScript in WebAssembly? JavaScript is a interpreted language. It's it's a, a scripting language is is like a common term, uh, similar to like Python or like uh, Lua. And 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 so scripting languages need to be run in, inside of a runtime um, that supports it. And so you you cannot basically compile JavaScript directly to WebAssembly. And so what what we're planning on doing is we're planning on building a wrapper in WebAssembly that has a JavaScript runtime inside of it, and then you can then load that script into your wrapper and execute it. And there's lots of other WebAssembly projects that have done this as well to be able to execute JavaScript in in inside of the WebAssembly context. And so the reason for this is because there's just so many developers that are super familiar with JavaScript and and they they like using it, and so they they want JavaScript support. And then your your question about assembly script and, and how that differs. Assembly script is is not is not JavaScript. It's actually kind of like it tries to be similar to TypeScript mostly, and it compiles directly to WebAssembly. And so assembly script is a great option for people that want a familiar syntax, but uh, it doesn't have the benefit of all of the you know packages that exist in the JavaScript system. So 
a lot of stuff in assembly script has to be you know built from scratch and so having javascript support will allow you to tap into that that huge ecosystem of javascript uh, packages that exist today so a lot of the features listed as features of polywrap are also features of uh, WebAssembly in general like secure by default and being able to run in any language or to be written in any language so what are the main differentiating features between Polywrap and WebAssembly itself? What does Polywrap build on top of WebAssembly? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, so, so WebAssembly is a low-level standard that is hard to build on top of. So for example, it, it you know today only supports uh, sending integers across the WebAssembly boundary. Um, so, so good luck, you know, sending a complex data structure. Also, there's there's no kind of um, standard way of creating interfaces on top of your WebAssembly module. So, knowing what code can be executed inside of it is 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 hard. And and you know the the list goes on. Like um, the the WebAssembly of today is is just a very basic bytecode standard. And they're obviously working progressively to build new standards to make it more and more capable of more functionality. But Polyrep wants to build an easy developer experience on top of the WebAssembly core te technology to, to to allow developers to, to do these things as soon as possible. And so that's one way to look at it. That WebAssembly is, is rather slow moving as it should be because it's a, a fundamental standard. And Polyrep is, is pushing the boundary of, of what's possible with WebAssembly today. And then lastly, there are things that are in Polyrep's vision statement and, and what we are trying to do that are not on the radar or scope of the WebAssembly project as a whole. And so an example of this is you know, being able to create these future-proof aggregators or being able to create these like on-the-fly dependency injection standards, being able to have a uh, URI format um, to be able to easily identify these different modules on different hosting solutions. So yeah, there's lots of like higher order problems that, that Polyrep is solving to be able to address the, the needs of developers and, and the general development and also the, the Web3 space specifically. A way to think of this is like all of the, the web development frameworks that were built on base HTML and you know the, the base HTML standard kept iterating and, and uh, evolving little by little, slowly adding like let's say the, the concept of uh, web components. But you know things like React had already existed for a while, which kind of like pushed developers and allowed them to create these like component-based applications. So that's a, a good way I, I think of thinking about the, the complementary uh, doings of WebAssembly and, and, and Polyrep. Thank you. I was just wondering, uh, when can I use the Polyrap to execute Wasm modules in the MetaMask map that me and Niraj plan to build at F India this weekend? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm kicking myself because I planned on putting that in the slides, but I forgot to this morning. But yeah, Chris, who was just talking, and also Niraj are in India Hackathon, and they're planning on adding Polyrap support to MetaMask. Um, so you can add a a snap, which is what MetaMask calls their like uh, little uh, applications that that run inside of MetaMask, and they're you know adding Polyrep there. And so maybe you know an, an example of this is you could take the you know wrap dot link that I was showing earlier, and you could run that in your MetaMask, or maybe do something more interesting like do a swap on Uniswap by simply pasting a wrap link uh, that calls the Uniswap wrapper. And you know, um, execute that that trade inside of your MetaMask. So, like, really, really cool stuff can be done. But I'm not sure. You know, Chris, Chris would know more of, of how that is going uh, than than I. Wow, looking forward to see this uh, this snap. Awesome. Yeah, I had a, another question. 
is it being tested in in real life conditions like with real users real transactions and other in the case of the the nodes like the gelato case how many nodes does an application need to run in order to have like a healthy network yeah sure um so for the first question I've you know created a, a application uh, on top of the uh, Uniswap wrappers because that was one of our first um, ways in which we we kind of uh, kicked the tires on the the whole thing. And you're able to use that application today if you wanted, and it it you know sends transactions to to any network you you, you would like to transact with. So that's kind of just like one example. But the project is still early, so if people are looking to use this in production for real, for real, please get in contact with us. We'll work with you to to make that happen in a responsible way. So I would say that the the project is still under development. We're getting close to to stamping it production ready, but that's happening gradually with the different integrations we're working with. And then as as far as like how many nodes should Gelato be running to have a resilient network, I think was the question. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. The whole node network stack is something that different projects tackle for themselves and that's out of scope for the Polyrep project. We just provide the the runtime for these nodes. That would be up to Gelato to figure out how they want to build their resilient network. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for the disclaimer. Yeah, for sure. All right. So with that, we have reached the end of the Dior Hot Seat for today.